Last week, uh, we left off with uh, Moses had just graduated. He just graduated from University of the Wasteland. And I talked about the fact that there are some things that you only learn in desert experiences in your life. God, in the midst of the desert, appears to Moses in a burning bush and gives him a mission, gives him his life mission. And after 40 years in that desert, he's heading back to Egypt. And uh, Scripture said this, uh, God's talking to Moses. He says, and now the cries of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the ways of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go now, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses, uh, we have this exchange where he's trying to excuse himself from this mission. And he says, look, they, they rejected me before. You know, they do not want me as their leader. Nobody's going to listen to me. Then, then he starts down another track. He goes, and besides, there's a bounty on my head. And then he does the ability thing. He says, you know, I don't have the ability. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good with crowds. And God just kind of nixes each of his excuses and doesn't buy them. In Exodus 4.12, God says, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God ends up giving Moses some supernatural object lessons. Uh, he has Moses uh, get out his shepherd's staff, and he says, throw it to the ground, Moses. Moses throws it to the ground, and it becomes a snake. He says, now reach down and pick the snake up. So he reaches down, picks it up, and changes back into his shepherd's staff. Then God says, take and put your hand in, inside your robe. He does that. And when he pulls it out, it's covered with leprosy. God says, put it back in. The leprosy's gone. And God says, you know, I want you to do those two things. And if they still don't believe, well, then I've got some serious things, some serious signs that will show them. And it's kind of funny because you have this interchange with God and Moses. And Moses, after all this stuff, he goes, yeah, but God, I'm going to need some help. And, and I find it funny. I mean, you know, you go, are you kidding me? And if you read that account in Scripture, even though God, I think, is a bit put off by Moses, he doesn't jump his case. He doesn't chastise him. God just meets Moses where he's at. In his inadequacy, in his fear, in his lack of confidence, God just meets him there and says, okay, Moses, tell you what. I'm going to let Aaron be your spokesman. You tell Aaron everything I've told you, and he can speak for you. And this, this is where we kind of ended last week with this scripture. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. God sends Moses' brother. That's who Aaron is. It's his brother. Sends him out into the desert to meet Moses. Moses, uh, Aaron, you have to remember, they haven't seen each other for, for years, maybe a lot of years. And it's kind of a great reunion. Moses tells his brother everything that God had shared with him through the burning bush. And so they return together to Egypt to start their mission. When they first get there, they, they meet with the spiritual leaders of, of Israel. 
the Hebrew people. And they kind of bring them up to speed. They show them the signs that God's given to Moses. And then Moses and Aaron head to the Oval Office. They want to meet with Pharaoh. They, they want to ask Pharaoh's permission to let the Hebrew people go. Scripture says this, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, for they must go into the wilderness and hold a festival in my honor. Now, I'm not sure what Moses and Aaron thought was going to happen. But this is what I do know. Their request is not received well. In fact, Pharaoh says this. He says, Who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, this is where I kind of read between the lines, and, and as you're reading their, their responses, I kind of picture Moses turning to Aaron and going, Well, that went well, don't you think? I tried to tell God. I mean, this Pharaoh, he thinks he is God. And the fact is, Pharaoh did think he was God. He was seen as a deity in the eyes of all the people of Egypt. And in his own eyes, he saw himself as a deity. And so Moses' request just ticks Pharaoh off. And so he punishes all the Hebrew people. He increases their workload. He has the the taskmasters uh, be more harsh with the people. He cuts their supplies so that they have to go out and gather their own supplies, but he demands that they still meet the same quota. And so he's kind of sending a message saying, don't listen to Moses. And I I was thinking about the fact that Moses Moses didn't really want to come back to Egypt. And he did not want to talk on behalf of the people. He was uncomfortable. In fact, he'd been rejected by them in the past. And now, Moses finally, in all that reluctancy, he steps up and he speaks. And Pharaoh responds by tightening the screws on the Hebrew people. The people turn on Moses. You know, basically, they're like, because of you, things are worse. More people are dying. Oh, thanks a lot. Oh, great deliverer. Sure glad you came back. I mean, can you feel that tension? And Moses, Moses just kind of unloads on God. If if you're reading through the scriptures, you you find he just goes, you know, I told you I didn't want to do this. I told you I did not want to get involved in all this. And look at things now. Look at that. You said you'd be there. You said you'd do something. Fine mess you've got me into. Now, this is my cliff notes of chapter 6. But basically, God sets Moses down and he says, Moses, fasten your seatbelt, buddy. I am about to put the pedal to the metal. I'm about to shift gears. And when I'm through with Pharaoh, he will beg Israel to go. And friends, that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh in Egypt, they they face plague after plague after plague, one after another. Pharaoh's going, well, who is this God? And Moses and Aaron answer, I am, is who that God is. I am. And And through the plagues, God is making a statement. God's making a statement saying, I am the only God. I am the all powerful God. 
And in the process, he's kind of pressing Pharaoh to release the Israelites. But God's making a statement. You see, in Egypt, people worshipped everything in Egypt. They, they worshipped the, the water of the Nile. They worshipped frogs. They worshipped cattle. They worshipped bugs. And so I Am shows up and sends ten different plagues. And each plague, get this, it's an affront to every major god and goddess of Egypt. Every plague becomes an object lesson of I am the only God. It becomes I am the only true God. It's an object lesson for him, and it's a chance for Pharaoh to listen and obey. And the plagues are things like uh, flies, you know, take over the land, and, and boils break out on all the, all the people, and hail falls from heaven, and locusts devour all their, their crops. And I'm not going to go into all the plagues, but I thought I'd focus on one of them. Because I, I think there's something we can learn as we kind of dig in on a particular plague. And I thought we'd focus on the second plague. It's a plague of frogs. You see, Egypt, Egypt had a goddess, Heck. She was depicted as a two-headed frog. She was a, the goddess that assisted with birth and, and rebirth. And so this plague, the frogs, it's about multiplying. It's about multiplying. The other day, my granddaughter, uh, Isabella, she's six. She was down last weekend. And uh, on and off throughout the entire weekend, she was hopping around the house. And she would be hiding like behind a chair going, Robert? Robert, Robert, she get behind a dresser. Robert, 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 you know she would get behind the the chair. Robert, 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 and she'd race around the house and get to the next spot. And I would act like I was trying to figure out what the sound was. And so I told Cindy, I said, Cindy, I think there's a Robert in the house. Isabella pops up and she goes, Grandpa, it's a frog. I'd search for a little while. She'd be hiding. Robert, Robert, Robert. And I would find her, and then I'd act all scared and startled. And honestly, we played this Robert Frog game all weekend long, on and off through the weekend. And she thought it was great. And yes, I told her it's Ribbit. But she liked Robert, and so we're sticking with Robert. And today, what we're going to find are there are frogs everywhere. Robert, Robert, Robert. You know, as we're talking about the plague, I want you to focus on the rebellion that's going on. Because there's something I've learned about frogs and sin, and that is they multiply really quick. You know, Moses and Aaron, they're, they're speaking for God before Pharaoh, and they say, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not dealing with your God. I'm doing my own thing. Besides, I am God. Moses says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, listen to me. If you don't let the Hebrews go, you're going to have a frog festival like you've never seen before. There are going to be frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh, he kind of like shrugs his shoulders and says, "Hmm, I'll take my chances. Moses says, okay. All right, that's what you want. And he raises his staff. 
and frogs start coming out of the Nile. First a few of them, and then thousands of them. And they're gathering up. You know, frogs are a lot like sin. You know, when you sin and I sin, when, when I first rebel against God, kind of doing my own thing, all of a sudden what starts out really small, you notice how it grows? What starts out in a little area of my life begins to spread into various areas of my life. And at first, you can kind of hide it. But pretty soon, friends, it is multiplying and it is hopping everywhere. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. It's all over the place. And it's interesting because Pharaoh, Pharaoh doesn't seem really phased by any of it. Pharaoh calls his demonic magicians. And he says, he kind of sees this, I think, as a contest. And so he kicks back. He says, hey, Moses, you know, check this out. My magicians can make frogs come up out of the Nile too, just like you guys did. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Frogs started coming up out of the Nile. He goes, see, Moses, that was a piece of cake. Now watch my magicians make them get, get rid of them, make them go away. But it didn't work. The frogs just kept coming. They're reproducing. They're laying eggs. Tadpoles, polywogs, suddenly frogs are everywhere. They're in the house. They're in the office. They're on tables. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. They're everywhere. Scripture says... The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come out and go into your houses and into your bedrooms and on your bed. That's when my wife quits reading, right there. Can you imagine that? Sliding into your satin sheets. Ribbit, ribbit. Turn off the lights. You see those beady yellow eyes. Ribbit, ribbit. Ribbit. I remember one year I, was, I went to a Christian camp every year, looked forward to it, but one year we had the invasion of the tree frogs. And there were, there were frogs everywhere. And uh, I'd lay there at night, and all you could hear was just this roar of, of the frogs. You know, you'd look out and you would see them. They were kind of attached on the screen to the windows. Back then we didn't have air conditioning. It really was camp. And... Uh, but I remember you would find them in your suitcase and uh, we would catch them and put them in each other's sleeping bags. We're taking showers with them. And it was, there were enough frogs when you're a junior high boy. It was heaven. I mean, it was fun. In Egypt, I think it might have been funny for a little while. I'm sure at first they're hopping around, little kids are playing with them, you know, people are playing practical jokes, they're telling jokes at the diner. Hey, what's green and squishy and found between your toes? I don't know. Slow frogs, you know. It could have happened, huh? I mean, people are stepping on them, they're sitting on them, they're everywhere. The Bible says they were even in their ovens. They were getting into the bread dough and they were getting cooked in. I mean, it was gross. It was not funny. 
I mean, do you have any frogs in your life? Friends, when you have frogs in your life, when, when they first appear, I'd suggest you don't do what Pharaoh did. I mean, instead of softening his heart and dealing with the situation and going God's way, going, okay, God, I see the frogs. I don't want sin in my life. I don't want this to multiply. I don't want it to grow. I know it's not funny. I want to deal with it. This is going to be a mess. This is going to affect me. It's going to affect everything. You know, we've got to step up and deal with it. There's something else I've learned about frogs. Frogs frogs are ugly, aren't they? Seriously, have you ever heard anybody go, Oh, look at this. He's so gorgeous. I mean, you might say cute, but what you mean is he's kind of ugly cute. Frogs are ugly. The only time a frog isn't ugly is in a fairy tale, and that's when a princess kisses the frog. But that's a fairy tale. I mean, frogs are ugly. Sin is ugly. No matter how you dress it up, friends, it's ugly. I mean, how did Pharaoh deal with these ugly amphibians? Well, he calls his magicians to get rid of the frogs. Nothing works. He can't get rid of them. He tries everything he can think of. He can't get rid of them. Does that sound familiar? So many times in our lives, we do something wrong. We commit a sin, uh, you know, and instead of dealing with it, we try our own little magic. We try to make it go away. Instead of dealing with the frogs in our lives, we try and cover it up. You know, we get busy at work or, you know, we start working out a lot or we run here and there. We buy this and that. And it's all, all this stuff is an attempt to get it out of sight, out of mind. Somehow, if we just don't deal with it, it'll go away. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Some become very good at this. Because, friends, we avoid looking at the situation in our life because it's ugly. You know, we can't stand the sight of what we see, uh, you know, that thing that we did that was wrong. We, we just don't want to look at it because it's just ugly. And that's what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh tries to handle it, kind of brush it aside, calls the wrong people to help him to deal with these frogs that he has in his life. And then finally, he realizes he can't deal with it. He is tired of this frog test. He wants him to go away. And so he calls Moses. He says, oh, mercy, mercy me. Well, things aren't the way they used to be. Mm-mm. I can't stand it. Frogs are everywhere. I'm even dreaming about them now. Please take care of the frogs. Get this, I, I find it very humorous. Moses and Aaron say, okay, we'll take care of the frogs. Just tell us when you would like us to take care of these frogs. Pharaoh's answer, this is off the charts in my opinion. Here's Pharaoh, he, he's tired of the frog test, he can't stand it anymore, he's at his wit's end in his life, and scripture says this, then he said, read with me, tomorrow. What? Tomorrow? I mean, I'm surprised Moses didn't fall on the ground laughing. You go, you got to be kidding me. But friends, 
The evil one's favorite word in your vocabulary is tomorrow. I will work on my marriage tomorrow. I will get involved in church tomorrow. I'll deal with my addiction issues tomorrow. I'll start managing my finances tomorrow. I'll get my priorities straight tomorrow. Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? And friends, I want to tell you, tomorrow, dangerous word. The evil one will make sure that tomorrow never happens in your life. That was Pharaoh's deal. Tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. I mean, do you deal with sin like that in your life? You know, sometimes I find myself, I'm like, okay, Damon, you need to change. You need to get this right. You need to come clean before God, before a holy God. You just need to be honest. I need to do this. I'll do it tomorrow. And friends, if you stay on this road, this is just an observation, but frogs and sin will make you jumpy. I mean, they really will. I mean, we all know frogs jump, right? But sin will make you jumpy. It really will. It'll, it'll mess you up. I mean, if you commit an act of sin against God, you know, that cosmic treason where you, you kind of step back and that sin just kind of, God looks and goes, whoa, what are you doing? And friends, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, people go, oh, well, it's just a little lie. A lie's a lie's a lie's a lie. Oh, it's just pick your poison. Friends, it will grow. It will get things out of kilter. Pretty soon, whatever it is that you thought you could keep a handle on, you start getting jumpy in your life. That's how sin works. Oh, no, I can't remember what I said to who. I wonder if they know. How can I cover it? Be careful. What if I get found out? And pretty soon, it just messes you up, gets you jumpy. Or, or everywhere you turn, you're reminded of what you've done. Can't get away from it. It's like it follows you around, and it makes you jumpy, edgy. You know, I remember several years ago, a guy I played hoops with a lot, he was having multiple affairs. And I remember talking to this guy. He finally just kind of poured it out. And he said, I am afraid. I am off the charts afraid. He goes, I am a nervous wreck. And I knew something was going on with him. And he, he started on kind of telling his story. And he just said, you know, I can't sleep. I'm paranoid. He says, I, every time I'm thinking a boyfriend, a husband, somebody's going to run me over. And I watched this guy just self-destruct. I mean, just spin out. And finally, he kind of hit bottom. And he started getting his life in order. And he stopped the affairs. And he started working on his relationship. And he gave his life to Christ. And little by little, I watched this jumpy, scared, frightened guy start finding peace. He started really living. And I thought... You know, that's what sin does to us when we decide we're just going to bury it and keep it, own it, live it. 
know Romans 8, 6, Apostle Paul writes, he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Set the mind on sins, death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Get this, sin and frogs, they make their presence known in your life. First of all, you ever notice how loud frogs are? I mean, they're they're loud. And one frog can make a lot of noise. Can you imagine in Egypt, people are going crazy because there are millions and millions of frogs. It's deafening. It's Super Bowl roar. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. Just like frogs, sin's loud when it's in your life. Sometimes it's so loud, you can't hear the people around you that are trying to caution you and help you. Sometimes it's so loud, you can't even hear God trying to talk to you. It just drowns things out. It's what sin does. Sin making some noise in your life? Something else about frogs, they smell. You know, it's not going to be a popular clone. Hey, you smell like a frog. You know, they, frogs make their presence known. I mean, think about this. The Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, mercy, mercy me. Things aren't the way they used to be. Make the frogs go away. And Moses prays for the frogs to leave. And most of them die. Scripture says the frogs died. Where? In the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields, and were piled up in heaps, and the land reeked of them. I mean, I've thought about this plague a lot. It may have been worse after the plague for a few days. I mean, you got mountains of frogs that are decaying, and I think the smell was awful. Just awful. And sins like that, I mean, you commit a sin and you don't deal with it and it begins to grow and then it begins to smell and God smells it and then pretty soon people are getting a whiff of it and they're going, whoa, what is wrong with you? Don't you see what's going on? But that's how sin is. If you don't deal with it, it just gets worse and worse and worse and then we feel worse about ourselves. You know, why why don't we see the truth? Why don't we come clean? Mercy, mercy me. You know, God's waiting to deal with the frogs in your life. I mean, that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why Jesus Christ died on a cross, so that we wouldn't have to live with frogs. We wouldn't have to live with the stench of of sin in our lives. You know, God shines his light on the beady eyes of sin when you open your Bible, when you pray. When you're at church, you know, with the help of a friend, with the words of a friend. So that what? So we can see the frogs in our lives. And like Pharaoh, you get a choice. You get to choose. You know, it's up to you. You know, Micah 7.19, God promises and says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread on our sins. Micah says, "Under, underfoot, you'll... Tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. It's a promise from God. 
I, I don't know how many of you have been reading through the, the story, but if you read all the plagues, I know there's a tendency when you get through them to kind of go, oh, plagues, fine. I don't get it. I mean, this is 2009. You know, I don't see plagues happening. Watch out. Be careful here. You know, remember that time in the hospital? Remember that time you fell down? Remember that time a relationship broke down? Remember that time you lost a job? Remember that time that things went south in your life? And I want you to listen really careful to me. Really careful here. The difference between the plagues that we're looking at in Scripture and the crisis in our life, okay? Follow me. The plagues here that we're talking about in Scripture, God brought them down. Pharaoh had a choice. He could have made a decision. Could have all been avoided, but they were initiated, the plagues here in Scripture, by God. Okay? The crisis in our life sometimes just happen. Sometimes they're the result of sin. Sometimes it's because of our own choices. Sometimes it's because of the foolish choices of someone else that we may not even know or have a part of their life, but it ends up affecting us. But most of the time, here's what I want you to hear, most of the time, God's not making them happen, okay? Is that clear? Stuff in Scripture, God initiated, crisis in our life, most of the time just happens or we create a little craziness in our life. But here's what I want you to hear. God will use them. God will use them. It doesn't matter how they end up in our lives. Just as God spoke in the plagues, God wants to speak to you in the pain, in the crisis, in that circumstance that you're in, that you're going through. God is always trying to connect. God's always trying to communicate with us. It's just in the crisis we're the most receptive and willing to listen. It's in the crisis that you find yourself going, oh, mercy, mercy me. I need help. And you get a choice in that moment. You can go Pharaoh's way or God's way. Many, many choose to go Pharaoh's way. They do the Pharaoh cycle in their life. A plague comes, a crisis comes, and Pharaoh's first response is, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. And then he realizes it's out of control, that he can't handle it. And he goes, okay, God, time out. Let's make a deal here. I don't like this situation. It's really getting to me. You know, I'll take care of it. But I can't, so I need your help. Could you help me out with the frogs and the gnats and the flies? I'll do whatever you ask. I'm your man. That's how Pharaoh. I mean, does this sound familiar? So relief comes. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, get this, he hardens his heart and did not listen. Friends, that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? If we're honest. It's the Pharaoh cycle. You know, we're overwhelmed, we're struggling, we're worn down, we become receptive, relief comes, everything gets better. And we go, well, God, you know, I was really sweating it. it was, I was kind of freaking out there for a while. 
I may have slightly overstated what I'm going to do with my life now. And so we Pharaoh cycle. And we harden our hearts and we go do our own thing again. Because why? Well, relief came. God cycle, very different. It's a better cycle. It will help you cruise in life. It will help you navigate in life. You know, the crisis comes, the plague, whatever, and and we're struggling, and and finally we're listening, and we're receptive. And here's the difference from Pharaoh's cycle. When relief comes, instead of going, okay, God, thanks, you know, oh, and by the way, I didn't mean what I said. I, you know, I'm going to do my own thing now. Instead of doing that, we repent. We do an about face in our life. We start going God's way and we deal with the frogs and the sin and we allow the Holy Spirit to clean us up and clean us out. Are you living with frogs? Are you living with frogs? Because you get to choose. You can handle things Pharaoh's way or God's way. But friends, God says, I've got the best way. Pharaoh... (laughs) He he cycles. Same way, every plague. If you read each of the plagues, he does the same thing every time, whether it's the gnats or hail or darkness, one after another, after another, after another. He just does the Pharaoh cycle. He gets tries to deal with it. He gets in a bind. He turns it over to God. God takes care of it, and then he goes, oh, thanks, God, see you. You know, that is until the final plague called the Passover. Now, this one's tough. I'm just going to tell you. It's a tough one. God instructs Israel to cover the area around their door with lamb's blood. And God says, all the homes that have this lamb's blood around it will be okay, but the ones without it, the firstborn of that household will die. And you read the scripture, it says at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. There was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. All over Egypt. There is this eerie stillness interrupted by screams every once in a while. The firstborn of every home that didn't have lamb's blood on it died, including Pharaoh's son. Harsh, severe. I mean, really severe. Hard to get your mind around it. But I I was thinking about how patient God had been Nine other plagues, nine chances. At any point, Pharaoh could have said, enough's enough, and none of it, none of this would have happened. 400 years, God had been patient. During that time, the Hebrew people had been enslaved. They'd been beaten, abused, probably raped. Babies were were murdered, horrific. Pharaoh made a decision. And just as God predicted... In this tragedy, Pharaoh breaks, and he lets the Israelites go. Scripture 
It says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people and you and the Israelites go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. I find that really interesting. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. Passover. It was a sign to future generations of salvation that was going to come through the Lamb's blood. Firstborn all creation, Jesus Christ. You know, that Passover evening, only one thing saved people. And it wasn't their nationality. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't their intellect. It was the blood of the lamb around that door that saved them. And the Bible makes it absolutely clear that the only, there's only one thing that will save you, and that's the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that takes care of sin. You know, that's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, John 1, 29, says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, when I say goodbye to this world, I'm not saved because I'm a pastor. I'm not saved because I did some good things or helped people or gave a chunk of money to ministry. None of that stuff. I'm saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to the doorpost of my life. And that's it. It's that simple. You know, the Israelites, they trusted the blood of the Lamb to save them. And as a result, death didn't touch their door. And when it was over, they were waiting. They had their bags packed, and they were ready to go. When Pharaoh gave the executive order, they headed out of Egypt, and after more than 400 years of bondage, abuse, and tyranny, They're heading out of Egypt to a new place and a brand new life. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. You know, I don't know if you got frogs in your life, but I I challenge you. Take a deep look at it. And hear God's Spirit in the midst of that, trying to get a hold of your heart, because really, God just wants your attention wants to help you have a better life. And I, I pray that you'll give him that, that inroad. Crisis don't have to come. But unfortunately, it's in the crisis many times that we're willing to finally listen. Let's stand for a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you. You are a God of wonder. God, I know that um, sometimes we just have to get rocked for you to have our full attention. God, I know there are those here today that are hurting, that are reeling, that are trying to figure out which way is up. I know there are others that are trying to handle everything on their own.
God, I pray whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we just soften our hearts. And we'd reach out to you. God, I pray when relief comes, we don't do the Pharaoh cycle and go do our own thing again. But it moves us to a closer walk with you. God, I thank you for your great love, your great mercy, your great grace. We give you the glory this day.